As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to Power Hour, the Athletics Tuesday National College Football Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Nicole Auerbach. And I am thrilled, as always, to be joined by my friend and colleague, Michael Felder, from Stadium, to break down the biggest storylines in college football in an hour or less. And if you enjoy this podcast and this podcast feed, just a reminder to subscribe, rate, and review The Andy Staples Show and Friends. Five stars, because much like Ari Wasserman's favorite recruits, that's what we're worth. And Felder, it was a busy morning already. We're recording this on Tuesday. And honestly, before I was even awake for the day, Virginia Tech decided they were done with Justin Fuente. Yeah, it's this feels like it's been a couple. I mean, you can say it's been a couple years in the making. You can say it's been a couple months in the making. Um, but yeah, they they were like, you know what, we've we got to we got to get rid of this baby in the bathwater. So let's go ahead and let's find something new. So yeah, I would love to hear what you think about it because Virginia Tech is a very interesting place to me. Yeah, I, I think you're right that this has felt like we've been kind of on this slow march towards this decision for a couple of years. I mean, I remember was it last season where there was like an announcement that athletic director Whit Babcock was going to have a press conference. And so everyone's like, all right, he made the decision. And they had to correct themselves and say like, no, we're just doing an end of the season thing. Justin yeah. Fuente is keeping his job. So th- there's been obviously speculation around this for a number of years because it's not worked all that well. Um, you know, I mean, this is, this is someone who started out well, 10 mm-hmm. and four coastal title in the first season, nine and four the second year. Um, and then it's just been losing records, a five and five start. They they snapped their bowl streak. All of these things that we're just not used to seeing out of Virginia Tech have happened. And it's it's a little bit, you know, I'm I'm thinking back to when they when they hired Fuente and it was considered a slam dunk hire. This was a rising star coach from Memphis. You know, he was keeping Bud Foster, so there was gonna be some continuity on the defensive side from the Frank Beamer era all of these pieces seemed to be falling into place on the front end and ultimately it didn't work. He's lost a ton of players to the transfer portal. Um, you know, there's been a lot of questions players about who are that. doing good things, players who are having great success elsewhere, including 
quarterbacking at Tennessee. He's missed on the quarterback position at Virginia Tech. Mm -hmm. um, struggled there. The defense has done things, again, that is supposed to be the backbone identity of this program and isn't. So I, I, I just keep thinking back to, to when he was hired and just – I don't know that I necessarily would have saw that this this unfold the way that it did, but I don't know how much of that is following Frank Beamer or what Frank Beamer was able to build and, and specific things to that era of Virginia Tech. Um, how much of it is Justin Fuente? I don't know, but it's, it's it's certainly a very interesting case study in this. In an in in a year where like there's a lot of different openings, this is actually a very interesting one to me. Yeah, I it's so there's a couple different things. One. There's this, I don't know if this is like a very popular saying, but it's the thing that I've always heard is you never want to be the guy after the guy. Right. And obviously we saw that not work go well for Jimbo Fisher. Even though he won a national championship, we saw it not go well for him long-term at Florida State. We, you look at those, like you see these things, like the guy that comes, the coach that comes after the coach who makes the program or builds the program or is the program a lot of times has a rough time because they're so, I mean, Lloyd Carr, at Michigan going to Rich Rod and it just being like, what's happening? Yep. So I think it's going to be really, I think that's a, that's part of it. But I also think that Virginia tech is a unique program. They are. Hey, I don't, I don't want to say that they're very similar to Clemson. I don't want to say they're very close to Clemson, but they are very similar to Clemson in terms of a very small, intimate community that relies on that edge to build a family atmosphere in their state. Like they are not, Virginia Tech is not, they have produced a lot of NFL players, but they are not a football factory. They are a family program um, as evidenced by, what were the, what are the brothers? We're all of them, the Fullers, right? Yeah. So they're a family first program and I think Fuente because of the success that he had obviously at Memphis uh, because Virginia Tech fans did earnestly want to move that offense forward yep it was a good hire it didn't go well and I think a big part of why it didn't go well was trying to marry old with new trying to figure out what they're going to do but Virginia Tech's a program that has dominated in, in the in the Tidewater, the H2O region. They have dominated, and, and they they made their hay. And this is a this is a conflict that Virginia Tech has. They made their hay in a, a lot of the same way that Nebraska, A um, and M did, living off this idea of the twelfth man, living off this idea of like scrappiness. And then I'm, I'm referencing the the, the, the pail, eight, the, the 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 yeah lunch pail, lunch pail. I'm, and I'm referencing things that are in the 90s or early 2000s. And like for people that younger people or people who don't know about this, who got to the game a little bit later than I did, but like Nebraska had the most robust walk-on program in college football. Virginia Tech had an extremely robust walk-on program as well. And they lived off these kids who their goal was to play for Virginia Tech. And then they went and found guys, not found guys. That's, that's, that's the wrong word. They went and got guys like Michael Vick. Yeah. Uh, like ah. Lee, like Lee Suggs, like Macho Harris, and they were like, "Come here, we're gonna get you, we're gonna get you to where you want to be." At one point, they had the longest streak of ten win seasons. They are a team that had been going to bowls forever. They invented 
Thursday night football. Because they lived off, and this goes back to, again, not to give people a, a history lesson, but there was a time that Florida State and Miami both were two programs that said, anytime, any place, anywhere, we'll play you. This renegade mentality. And Virginia Tech also created that renegade mentality because they invented that Thursday night game. I've been to Lane Stadium. Have you been to Lane? Yes. You've been to Lane on yeah. a Thursday night? Not on a Thursday, but. Ooh. I'm going to tell you. I don't know what they did with the foundation there. I don't know what they got going with the with the with the pilings, but that stadium moves. And the way that it moves is wild. And I'll never forget. You know Bobby Frazier? No. Bobby Frazier played a he was a point guard for UNC. Bobby Frazier saw me fall down the stairs at Lane Stadium <laughs> one 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 night because the stadium started moving and I missed a step. And when you if you fall at Lane, you're going down. I think there's, and maybe some of this is because some of the stadiums got have have been renovated. But there's probably like three stadiums that that shake and move. Yeah. It would be Camp Randall, Beaver Stadium, and Lane. Like yeah. they just, it, it's a different, it's a different world. I'm interested in what you said too. We'll, we'll move on to some you know on field stuff as well. But um, what you're talking about, like where they can get players now. Yeah. Um, you know they have pretty good facilities they need to pay more for probably their staff the assistants and different it's stuff a but huge like conflict though the, the, the conflict right of that who they, they are the conflict are. The, the conflict that they face and this is a very real conflict and they they're not the only team that has this issue wisconsin has to deal with it as well there's a lot of teams that have to deal with this issue do we chase a guy who is sim local or semi-local do we chase a guy who is a five-star and we devote resources to that guy who's a four-star? Or do we take the three-star that we know we can become a player in two years? And they legit, like, that's a problem. And the fan base, I believe, is, like, there's a lot of folks who are like, we got to get this guy. He's in our backyard. Knowing that that guy, whether it's, what, what Deshaun Hand or somebody, they're, they're probably going to end up at Alabama. So you're diverting resources from two, three, four players who you could take that are with quote unquote two or three stars so, that you can build into players. So where do they, where should they go in that, in that fork in the road with the, I don't, I don't, the next coaches? That's the, I mean, that's a, that's the, what is the next coach going to get paid? $3 million. That's a $3 million question. Yeah. Is how you divert, how you, how not divert, how you allot resources because you can't, you can't just not try. You can't just not try to get, Who's the kid from D.C.? Rakeem Jarrett? You can't just not try to get him. He ended up going to Maryland. Yeah. You can't just not try to get him. And I, I truly believe Virginia Tech is one of those places, if you can get kids on campus enough, you can get them to go to school there. It's just a matter of getting them on campus and getting them around the program and getting them – well, let me stop myself. During the Beamer era, it was about getting those kids on campus and getting them around the program. And then they feel at home. They, especially now with the connectivity. And I think Fuente had a different, excuse me, Fuente had a different method, was not nearly as well-liked, obviously, as Beamer was. And I hate that I keep saying Frank Beamer because, great guy. I've done a couple things with him, and he's fantastic. But this is not what this is about. It's not about going backwards. It's about moving forward. And so the goal for them is going to be someone who can connect to getting back into the Tidewater, 
hardcore. You can connect to the Tidewater. Someone who can reach down. Because people don't think about this a lot, but Virginia Tech used to have a straight up and down line to Charlotte. They got kids from Charlotte, and they got them consistently. So you need to get back down to Charlotte, and you need to get into Raleigh. You need to get into Eastern North Carolina, and then you also have to reach up and get into Pittsburgh, and you have to go a little bit west to get into Ohio. So that, to me, is job one for whoever the next guy is. Um, Honestly, I know I referenced Clemson earlier, but I think that they do need somebody who is like Dabo Swinney, who realizes someone who feels lucky to have the job and then works really hard to restore all of their relationships. That last sentence is what I think so many of these programs that are making changes this year are looking for. Um, I think we're up to 12 opening jobs right now. Yeah, it's a lot. To go. It's a lot. So uh, we'll keep an eye on it. It'll be all over this feed. Um, Andy's on top of it as well. And, and you know, as we know, on the Saturday night feeds, um, you can pretty much tell whose who's time is uh, is coming up. Um, but let's get into some, some on-field stuff because I wanted to talk about a team that I just feel is not getting the due that they deserve because I think we were so distracted by Oklahoma being undefeated and we were distracted by you know Caleb Williams and Spencer Rattler and all these different things that were happening over there but the team that's playing the best in the Big 12 you could argue is Oklahoma State who has an actual college football playoff case I mean this is a Mm -hmm. you know you could go through the stats defensively they're in the top 10 in a number of key categories they're playing well offensively they've got a win over Baylor which is now going to be borderline top 10 win um it wins over you know teams that are over 500 uh like the, the resume has all the things that the playoff committee looks for i think we we um not us specifically but people write off teams with one loss in the playoff race all the time people did that with oklahoma they did it for the whole big 12 but i think the Oklahoma State Cowboys are pretty well positioned, assuming they went out here and they're playing well and they could do it, uh, to, to make the playoff. And I, and I don't think people are really appreciating what that team is doing. I don't know if people are watching them. I don't know if people are, are paying attention to the Cowboys. Well, if you're not paying attention, that's on you. That, like, I can't, we can't help you with that. Um, but we can tell them thing- what to know to catch up, and then they can pay attention. Well, so, yeah, what, so what do you like about Oklahoma State? Um, well, I mean, I just think like it's it's this has been a weird year, right, where we've talked about, you know, certain teams having identities that are different. I, I think defensively they're they're good. Um, and, and this is something that we don't always associate with Oklahoma State. I mean, they're, they're number eight nationally in scoring defense, number seven yards per play, um, tied for the most sacks in the country. Like they get after it defensively and, and they're winning games that way. And I just yeah. think that's that's cool. We're not so used the, to it. So the thing for me, I th- good grief, for, for stadium, I did a tape don't lie on Oklahoma State a couple weeks ago talking about this defense because the way that they earn their money, the way that these guys make hay is unique. They show cover zero. They show cover zero. And basically for people that don't know, cover zero is no high safeties. They, they line up for they, – there are times – 
trying to it was the Texas game or right after the Texas it was it was the in the Texas game and the week after the Texas game is when I did the video. But they lined up with a straight line across, four yards off the ball. Every player was in four yards of the line of scrimmage. That's scary. That's confusing to quarterbacks. They don't know what to do. And then the thing that they do that's really cool is they mug their linebackers up. So they have two linebackers. They usually play in nickel, which is five defensive backs, hence the nickel. It's worth five cents. You get five players. Um, don't ask about dime. That's six defensive backs, even though a dime's worth 10. But the reality of it is, is they line up in nickel, five guys. They've got corner, slot corner, corner, safety, safety, and those guys play man across the board. And then they have two linebackers in the game, and those guys are mugged up. And they're mugged up, which means they're lined up at the line of scrimmage, standing up in gaps. Makes the offensive line have to account for them. And then the thing that they do, because when you show that look, a quarterback instantly thinks, oh, they're going to blitz. Oh, they're, they're bringing pressure, so we need to keep a tight end in. We need to keep a running back in. So they're eliminating possible receivers by showing that look. And then on snap, those guys spring out to what are considered those hot routes. They spring out into the into the space that you would usually run your inside slants. And as they drop, they hit those spots. What it does is forces the quarterback to hold the ball a little bit longer, which leads to their ability to get him off his line, get him off his off his mark, get him out of time. And I think it's beautiful. Like what they do defensively has been really really fun to watch. Um, with the exception of Cincinnati, I think they play the most aggressive man coverage in college football. It's really, it's really awesome to see the way that they get it done. And I don't know, like for me, they're they're generally appointment viewing because it's really like one. It's a thing that I could never do. It's a thing I would never do. Was I was never a man guy. I was always his own guy. So it's really cool to watch Oklahoma State Cincinnati do it. But it also is cool from a an identity standpoint where we're seeing Gundy. This is kind of the reverse Nick Saban. Yep. Where we're seeing Gundy embrace that this is the way that I have to win, so I'm going to do it. Same as Nick Saban realizing I've got to score a bunch of points, otherwise I'm going to lose. Same as Pat Narduzzi this season with with Pitt. If you don't want to, if you don't want to go for the greatest of all time to compare Mike Gundy to Nick Saban, compare him to Pat Narduzzi, and it's this idea of. Narduzzi wants to play good defense, and he wants to shut you down and confuse you defensively, but that's not working so well this year. So what do we have to do? We've got to score points. And Kenny Pickett has become a really good quarterback, has become an NFL first-round possible quarterback because they've leaned into a strength, and I think that's really cool for Oklahoma State. So if you're not watching them, you need to. Uh, the way that they play defense is really fun, and I'll tell you what, to take it back to, to Oklahoma, who you referenced earlier, this is something. This is something I mentioned with Caleb Williams. It's different, not better. Yep. It's a smaller playbook. It's a smaller playbook. Well, guess what? Dave Aranda is a genius, so he can make you. He can make you look dumb. And then we're going to see Iowa State, and then we're going to see Oklahoma State. So we're going to have to see how quickly Lincoln Riley can get Caleb Williams ready for games where these teams know who they are, know what they do, and they can confuse him. And I think Oklahoma State's a prime example, obviously, for the Bedlam game. I think Iowa State fits in there with the way that they're able, always able to get one over. They're always able to get, able to get two over one, three over three over two, four over three. And obviously, Baylor was already ready, already able to do it. We'll see if these other two teams can do it as well, because we could be looking at 
a three-loss Oklahoma team uh, by the end of the season. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, let's go. Let's jump to um, our flavor of the week segment, because sure. I know that you wanted to to get into Oklahoma and Baylor a little bit there. So this is we talk about something, something we're cooking, which is a great time of year for for cooking and yes. also something we like on the field. So so let's stick with that Oklahoma Baylor game and and Dave Aranda and uh, what he was able to do to that Oklahoma offense. So they, they disguised their coverages and they took away first reads. They looked essentially they. They did what I do on Mondays, <laughs> and they looked. They they and and of course they did. They get paid to do it, and they looked at what Caleb Williams does. They realized, okay, he likes to look hard right early. They took away the hard right early. They took away the they they and then, oh my God, there's a play. I got it. I got it right here. I got it. I where do I got it? I got it right here. There's a play on. There's there's a play where they sit down. Baylor, God, I don't I don't have it. I don't have the the number written down. There's a there's a play where they sit down. Baylor shows blitz. They show six man pressure. He goes to look for his hot. They're impressed, so the hot's disrupted, and then there are two guys sitting there waiting and watching for where he's going to run. Two linebackers, one for either side, waiting to see where he runs because Oklahoma had to keep they had to keep a running back in the block so I don't have to cover him and waiting to watch where he runs so that they can track him down. Um, there's a third and three, I believe in the second quarter where they bring pre- where Baylor brings pressure and then they saw him off because, they have their they keep a running back in green dog principles in, in terms of uh if the running back blocks then you add yourself to the blitz but he doesn't fully blitz what he does is approach occupy and then sprint to the side and i think it's beautiful and i i think that the way that they play defense is really fun um remarkable that with bernard not it like when bernard was out like they they're they're still making things happen, which is really cool. Because Bernard, I thought, was their best defensive player coming into the season. And to not have him and still produce, that was great. And then watching, which 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 made them better as a football team, right? Because then you get the rise of Dylan Doyle. And, like, Bernard doesn't play a little bit earlier. And then he's kind of, he like, he doesn't play, what is the game? He missed Oklahoma State game. 
Then we see Doyle step up, make plays. Now you've got two guys who can make plays. You throw in Petrie. These guys are... They, like... The thing I like about watching Baylor play is they know when they messed up and they all look at each other and they're like, that's on me, I did this, instead of where were you? And those are two completely different things. And that is about teaching. That is about, that's about teaching and understanding. Like this is a group of guys that clearly they watch film together. And not just film together in meetings, but film together in like they watch film together, like in their spare time because they're looking at each other, not like, what are you doing? But like, that was my bad. I didn't see this thing. And they're very communicative, which I think is good. But to get back to flavor of the week, um, for me, I, I also, I'm going to go to the other side of the ball. I talk a lot of defense, but I love, I, I love what Gary Bohan is that I've liked him since I saw him when he, we were out at, in Redondo beach at the elite 11, like this dude, he's got, the ability to throw the football. He's from Earl, Arkansas, and they love catfish. And I also am a person who, who loves catfish. I know it's controversial. People view them as a bottom feeder. But the thing that I like about Baylor and relating this back to Arkansas to catfish is catfish don't have a size that they grow to. Did you know that? I, I have no knowledge about catfish. Catfish grow as big. They're like goldfish. They will get as big as they're able to. Okay, just based so, on what they eat? Based on what they eat, but also based on, like, if you keep a catfish in a tank, mm-hmm. if the tank is 10 gallons, you're going to get a catfish that's, you know, X, X size. But if you keep them in a 60-gallon tank, they're going to get way bigger. They they expand into the space. They don't have size constraints from a body standpoint. Hmm. So they just keep growing. It's the same thing as when you see guys out there noodling and they're picking up these 100-pound catfish – that catfish lives in a river or in a lake. They can just get as big as they want, and they got plenty of food. So the, the, the point here is, and I had some of the best catfish I've had when I was in uh, Little Rock uh, for in 2016 covering uh, one of those Pulaski Academy games. But the point is, is Baylor also is a team with their quarterback from Arkansas who gets as big as the tank. And this offense – if you feed it and give it space, it's going to keep expanding. That should scare teams. That should scare whoever they play in the Big 12 championship game. That should scare folks because this team is ready to grow. And you watch the way that Bohannon runs, and I love I love his decisiveness. He's ready to rock and roll. This is one of those guys, good grief, to, to reference a movie, it's like heat. These guys at the drop of a dime, they're ready to rock and roll. And that's what he is. This guy brings the heat. And I love that about him. And, and, and you throw in Smith and Ebner and their ability to, to stretch you horizontal with a run while immediately hitting vertical. They will grow as big as the tank. And I think for them, the tank is, right now at least, that tank is huge. So I love it. You are just the king of metaphors. It's been this has been my main takeaway of doing this show with you. Um, okay, so my flavor of the week is a little bit more convoluted, but we talked about. <laughs> you're saying mine week. wasn't convoluted. Well, you're, okay, yours yours is also convoluted. Um, so we talked about this last week, but I had a friendsgiving over the weekend. Nice. The turkey came out great. Thanks for asking. Um, it was very moist, flavorful. It was. How'd you cook it? 
Um, I did it in the oven for, it was 325, about three hours total, two hours. Rest whole, bird? Flip. Whole, whole bird, bird. whole bird, okay. about 18 pounds. Nice. Um, but yeah, the whole, the whole deal, the, the defrosting, the brine, the rub day of all that stuff. Um, you go butter under the skin. No, I put the rub. I, I got like this, um, this rub from William Sonoma. It's really good. It's like all these herbs and stuff and it goes under nice. the skin. So wildly successful, as we discussed, everyone needs to put a little bit of respect on the people who make the turkey. It is a lot more work than people realize. <laughs> and if it's bad, it, it ruins the meal and people just don't appreciate the, the amount of effort that goes into it. But I also made my mom's go-to side dish, which is very, very easy. It's a corn souffle. Incredibly easy to make but delicious. And it's always one of the most popular things at Thanksgiving table. And I have started to make it and bring it to potluck things. And so I made it with the, you know, the turkey and the gravy and everything I brought up. And it was predictably basically the first thing out at the meal. And, you know, it's interesting because like, I don't, again, before my mom started making this, I don't think I ever would have thought like, oh, I need corn souffle. Like this is going to be my number one side dish. This is the thing that I I need on this day. And I appreciate it. It's a little bit out there, right? Like I'm going to, my first, my brain, you know, growing up would have been turkey mashed potatoes, maybe some green beans, right? It would have gone to the more classic, classic Mm -hmm. side dishes. And but now it's the corn souffle. It's the number one thing. It's the first first scoop I want on my on my plate, and I think that I have finally started to. That, that it's, it's it's other my, my friends and family are also starting to adopt that mindset because they've tried it. My flavor of the week here is the ACC, and it's more specifically Wake Forest, Pitt, the teams that people are starting to say, "Oh my God, can you imagine?" that this is the ACC championship game we're heading towards. Like imagine how disappointed people must be, how unexcited people must be. You know what? They're the corn souffle for me right now. The ACC has some of the best quarterbacks in the country. I deeply enjoy watching Sam Hartman. I love the weird mesh. I love like, there's such a unique offense. They're incredibly entertaining. They score in like a second but they do something different. We were talking about Oklahoma state doing something different defensively. Wake does something different offensively. And then Kenny Pickett, we were talking about, we love Kenny Pickett. We love seeing what he's doing this season, having all of this success, growing as a passer, all of the different things. I don't think that we need to say the ACC championship game sucks, or we, you know, this is what a down season because Clemson is down when we have these incredible teams to watch like it when brendan armstrong comes back virginia is must see tv like there is a lot going on in the acc but people are looking for the turkey and the mashed potatoes and they're not realizing that we have the corn souffle and it's good and people should be watching these teams i don't care if they're eliminated from the playoff conversation these are fun offensive teams really entertaining and if that is the championship game matchup if it is wake and pit it's going to be a blast. So my flavor of the week is also a little bit of a rant because I just got tired of that immediately just because Clemson wasn't going to be there. People are acting like the new emerging teams or different teams having like these incredible seasons is somehow bad. And 
I yeah. just think like the ACC has been a blast. Yeah, it has. Who who you, you have to rank these quarterbacks? What order do you put them in? Like top Ooh. three, top four. I mean, probably just, pick, to, just pick, go through. pick it one, probably. It, and then who? Um, man, I mean, I I I probably go Hartman, and then Brennan Armstrong. But Brennan Armstrong is like Ooh, more no of a, Sam Howell. Yeah, I would probably well, but like consistency and what he's working with. Yeah, I mean that that's probably the order I got. And then Brennan Armstrong is like the chaos agent. Like he can do yeah crazier things. I'm, I think I probably go. I think I still go Hal one, pick it two, and then Hartman three. I think Armstrong is incredibly productive, but I also think that I, it's 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 hard. It's not easy. They have the they have the best quarterback group, and it's not close. Yeah. this year. Yeah, they have they have the. Uh, if these guys were on other teams, more people would be talking about them. That's for sure. Yes, I think that Hal. I think Hal's the ability to the fact that he has what is that four or five one hundred yard rushing games. Right. Is. It's insane. Yes. And but it's also one of those things where it also hasn't hurt his like he's an NFL passer stock where it would hurt some other guys depending on what they it's look like. It's not becoming so, what he's he's not a running quarterback. Yeah. yeah. So no, I, I I still think I think Howell's had a really good season. So I would I, I like how I like Pickett. I, I mean I like Brandon Armstrong. I think he's and amazing. I like and I like Howell too. I, I mean I, it's that's a really hard question yeah. you ask. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I also think that. Speaking of, we talked about it, we referenced it with Narduzzi, we talked about it with Mike Gundy, but Bronco Mendenhall doesn't want to play football like this, but he's doing it, and I think that's a testament to being able to adjust. All right, so what do we got? We got to get into... Yeah, let's get, yeah let's get let's into go. a couple games uh, before we wrap up for, for the week. Um, sure. So the, the big game that we've been waiting weeks for actually in big 10 country is, is Ohio state, Michigan state. And the, the first thing that I keep thinking about is, is just how miserable it would be to be on either of these defenses preparing for this game, watching film, especially Michigan state. I mean, they, they're like the, I think the actual worst passing defense in the yes. country. And you're going to be going up against CJ Stroud and company. Like, that's not going to be fun. It's not going no. to go well. And I, so I just sort of wonder, I mean, I think Ohio State's going to win this game. Um, but I, I just sort of wonder, like, which defense I put faith in, if at all, in this matchup. It's, I, I just think it's, see, for me, I don't have faith in either one of them. We're, we're, what we're, do, we're doing is splitting hairs. One team is 108th in pass defense, and the other team is 130th. Both of you guys aren't good. They're not, neither one of them is good. So to me, and this is what I, what I wrote in the doc, it's who's, which offense can bail out the defense or bail out the defense more. And we've seen both of them make explosive plays. I think there's probably more playmakers for Ohio State than there are for Michigan State. And I think that is probably going to be the difference in the football game. But this is going to be one of those games where, when you're watching it, if you flip channels and come back to it, somebody's going to have scored. You know what? This is going to just this is this game is probably going to be the thing that most people think all Big Twelve football is. It's going to be this. So I'm looking. I'm I'm I am looking forward to watching it. Obviously, this is a game that my wife, who went to Michigan State, is very excited. Like she's like. Not excited for. She's she's Ter- not ter- terrified for. She's terrified, but I'm glad it's a noon game because I will be at work. So, <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I, I think it'll be really fun. I think the Big 12 comp is is very accurate. And yeah. we've seen Ohio State against, again, more solid defenses um, score at will and score on every possession. So this is going to be – it's going to be about holding serve um, and, and getting yeah. to the end zone. So that'll Big be fun. Up. Another So there's actually a ton of great games, obviously, unsurprisingly, late November. Um, Want to get your thoughts on, on SMU-Cincinnati because this, this feels like it will be – well, it, it, it's been – Cincinnati's biggest game on the schedule for the back half of the season for a while, but they've just been so sluggish in recent weeks. Um, and, you know, we've talked a lot about style points and how they're winning and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But it feels like SMU is going to have a real shot to win this game. I'm, I'm just curious what, when you think about this matchup, what jumps out? So the big thing for me is I, I don't think they're sluggish. I think they're probing. Okay. And, by that, I, I like they are. You've covered Olympic sports, you've covered gymnastics, and you know how, like, in, in like for gymnasts when they train, they go into that foam pit, yes, they're because they're they're trying stuff, but they don't want to get hurt, yes. But some they're making actual mistakes as well, though, they are turning right. the ball over, they're turning right. actual mistakes. But the big thing for me with Cincinnati is they're they're probing and finding and looking. There's none of their second halves look like the first halves. Their second halves don't look like that first half. Right. Why? Because they're figuring stuff out and they're taking the temperature and they're 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 probing and they're prodding and they're poking and they're looking. And I think that's really that's a different thing than most teams. That's a different thing than um that's a different, like, it's just a different approach to the game, like the way that they do it, because they know they can always rely on their defense. We can always lean on our defense to get the, I mean, hell, they had to lean on that defense with that, what was that, two weeks ago with the fumble and the whole deal? That was a nightmare. Stand. Yes, yes. That was insane. But they poke and pride. So they have, yes, they have more interceptions in the first half than they have in the second half. They also have more touchdowns in the first, in the second half than they have in the first half. And they find what they're looking and they're testing and looking for things. And I think that's an interesting element that they bring to the table. Um, like the same thing when you look at them on the back end from a, from a running standpoint. Second half is where they find a lot more space. And it's not always more yards, but it is a lot more scoring opportunity. And it is more um, – they, they make a lot less – they make a lot – Fewer mistakes in the second half. Did I do fewer, better than less on that one? Did I get that yes, right? Yes, you did it right. <laughs> they, I like they, how you knew you knew that I would know. <laughs> yeah, they make fewer mistakes in the second half because the first half is a lot of them probing, and they're you know, they're like you know, they're, they're, it's like a like a kid like the first time you go to the haunted house and you have the peeled grapes and you're like I don't know I don't know what this is, and then the second time you're like I just don't want to touch that, so it's fine. They that's that that they're doing all those like slow, slow, slight probing moves. And then in the second half, they're like, well, we know what we have to do to win. And I think it's very interesting to watch. I think they're going to be fine this week. I'm very curious to see what um, defensively if they do something different, because that's the part where I think that Luke Fickle still has some sort of an ace that he's waiting to pull out. And I don't know if it comes out now against SMU. Or does it come out in, what, two weeks, three weeks against Houston? So we'll see.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, quick thoughts on the third biggest game, based on my estimations, mm-hmm. Oregon-Utah. Now, this might be the first of twice. We might see this yeah. game twice. Um, it, it, Oregon's been very interesting lately. I feel like they're, you know, Oregon fans have been pushing back at the way that, that their team has been kind of dissected. Discussed. Yeah, and discussed. Um, how, how do you see Oregon right now? I think they're really good. I think they're tough. And I think they're tougher than people give them credit for being. Just because they wear, like, cool uniforms. People think they're, like, this, like, fancy finesse team. But they're tough. They're mean. Their offensive line is mean. Their defensive – their entire defense is mean. Those dudes are mean as hell. They punch. They fight. They, they – they'll – I'm not going to say that. But, yeah, they'll, they'll hit you in the mouth. So – it's just one of those things that I, I love watching them play. Um, you give me Noah Sewell any day of the week, and I – like, if you if I could get a team with Noah Sewell and N'Kobe Dean on it, oh, my goodness, we are going to kick you – we're going to kick your Happy Meal behind up and down Main Street. Like, good grief. And so I love that about them. Uh, obviously, they've got one of the best pass rushers. And, and, and it, it's not just that Thibodeau's a good pass rusher. It's that – you have to pay attention to five so much that other things happen. And I think that's an important, he's got this Jadavian Clowney um, effect to the game where when he's in, whenever he's in the game, everyone is paying attention to him. Everyone is looking at where he, like the announcers are like, they circle him on games, like on live, not on, not on replay. They circle him on live. And I mean, a couple tackles for loss against Washington state, but you, you focus on that. And then these other guys are just like, oh, my life just got easier. And whether it's uh, what is it? Doris, Dorius, um, the freshman Swenson, like these guys are able to play a freer form of football because everybody's worried about what five's going to do over here. Oh no, this guy made a play. So it's going to be that. That's what I think about Oregon with respect to Utah though, a Utah, another team we haven't, we didn't just, we didn't talk about, but they fit into the the same thing with Narduzzi and, and, and Gundy and going against type. They average almost a touchdown more than they did over the last six seasons. Cam rising is, a surprising runner in terms of he does it and it surprises defenses and they are not prepared for it at all. And I think that's a great element to his game that a lot of people just don't account for. They find like they find space in the passing game, but they still have that rough, rugged Utahness to them. They still show blitz and bail. They still show blitz and blitz. They still don't show blitz and then blitz. And they do all the stuff you want them to do and what, what you expect a, a Kyle Whittingham team to do. Uh, they're just not as good at it defensively as they have been. But offensively, this is a team that 
they find space on the ground. And what is it? I I got it right here. I got, I know I know exactly what the thing I wanted to say was. And then you watch them, and I think it was the Arizona State game. We get a rising run for a touchdown on a scramble. So you're not accounting for them on the scramble, but on that run, you get a wide receiver coming from the side to just mash out three guys. He brings the guy that's covering him in man with him. Then he blocks a linebacker, and that linebacker trips out, trips another linebacker. So he's got that's a one for three, and it's amazing. That's in, I think, the that's in the first quarter, four minutes and 34 seconds. Rising's able to get that done. I think the other part for me, you look at them in, um, I think it's the third quarter, the sixth, I think it's the third quarter touchdown they have from a wide receiver. And he catches the ball, he catches it, starts to catch at the six, finishes the catch at the four, and there's guys all around him, four guys. But what does he do? He powers through four guys to get into the end zone, and it's, they still have this defense forward mentality, even though the defense isn't as good as it has been. They're scoring. If you can, if you can take your team from their basically a six-year average of scoring 29 points a game and push it up to 35, 36 points a game, you're scoring more. It helps your defense out a ton. Can you imagine if Clemson scored 36 points a game? They'd probably be number one. Yeah, that's more like what we used to see. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think that's gonna be that's gonna be fun. I think we're gonna get it twice. Um, and and I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be good. I mean, there's there's a lot going on. So so I wanna get to our last calls because there's sure. still teams to talk about and stuff going on that we haven't even hit on. Um so our, our last call segment for those who are new is a rant or a rave about anything a lot of times we do it non-football related mine's football related this week yeah. but it can be it can be anything it's what you would you know be be ranting about or getting a final round for um at two in the morning at a bar or whatever it might be and and my last call this week goes to jimbo fisher who has been trying for weeks to shoot down rumors and reports attaching him to the lsu job mm -hmm. um and again a lot of people rightfully so because we all know how this works until LSU announces a new coach, will still keep that in the back of their minds that the guy who hired Jimbo gave him the contract at AM is the guy making the decision at LSU. Yep. No buyout, all that stuff. We could we could talk about all of that. But my last call just goes for Jimbo for these incredible quotes. Like these are actually great, a great way sure. of trying to shoot this down. He said, We're gonna recruit an unbelievable class this year. So I'm the dumbest human being on God's earth to recruit all these guys to A&M so I can go across over there to LSU and play against them. Yep. And that is one of the best ways I have ever heard a coach shoot down interest. Obviously, you know, you have to be in the same division and things like that for, for this to work. Sure. But maybe it's finally convincing some people. He, he you know, said, I want to be at A&M. I plan on being at A&M, not going anywhere. Asked reporters, like, Am I clear enough? Am I being clear enough? You know, because this has been weeks of the same questions. Um, and again, I understand why everyone's asking them and why people are skeptical. But I just thought that this was an incredible way to put it from Jimbo Fisher. He is right. He is bringing in an incredible class. He's got incredible players. Um, he's got a blank check. All this guaranteed money at AM. Um, but I just thought I just thought it was it was 
again, not refreshing because we've, you know, Mike Tomlin's had some great denials lately. We've had yeah. some great quotes lately, but I just thought that this was peak. This is an all timer in denying job interest. So cheers yeah. to Jimbo Fisher. Yeah, I know. I think it's great. I listen as someone who I'm not a hunter, but I do aspire to have a, a little bit of land. I'm probably I'm more of a farmer. But when he said that when he said the line about I've got ranches and I, I got good hunting land, I was like, yeah, dude, he's not going anywhere. This guy's very happy. Yeah. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Like, he's 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 doing his thing. So, yeah, uh, for me, I'm going to stick in the SEC. It took a long time. But on Saturday night against Tennessee, Georgia was fun. And it took them getting pushed by Tennessee in the first quarter and a half. It took them realizing that we do have to do something, some different things. And it, they've been building to this. Uh, in the Florida game, Stetson Bennett got on the hop a little bit. Uh, and, and, and adding at, there, the, the, so there's three things that I really love about what Georgia's doing. And I hope folks pay attention to one Stetson Bennett running. Yes. It's awesome. He had, he ran for 58 yards. If you take out the sacks, he ran for 58 yards. That reminds me a lot of, excuse me. That reminds me a lot of Steven Garcia at South Carolina who ran for like 35, 37 yards or something again in their 2010 upset of Alabama. But it's enough that 30 to 50 yard range. If he can do that every game, every game that matters, every game that they need him to, whether that's Bama or obviously in this case, Tennessee, that changes the dynamic of the defense and forces them to play something different. And I don't think enough people have talked about that. The other part is offensively what they've been doing. And this is all offense. We talked about the defense before, but off, this is all offense. They do, they run 12 personnel with tempo and 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends with tempo. It forces the defense to not substitute. And it forces the defense. If you just see the numbers that are on the field, whether it's 19, 86, or zero, you see those numbers on the field, you're like, okay, they're heavy. We need our we need more linebackers in the game. And then when they split them out or flex them out or move them around, you have to account for those pieces, which creates more space in the run game for Zamir White. I know I said three things, but I'm going to go with a fourth one. James Cook, I love him. He is... I understand that he is a bit of a knucklehead to a lot of people. And he was that when I was covering him when we were at the opening. But it was super fun and very awesome and incredibly fast and remarkably dangerous for what he was capable of doing. So I'm glad he's gotten it together and is able to be a contributing piece of this team and a wild gadget for Georgia to use. So that's my that's I'll call that 2B. And then for the original three. Georgia going 23 personnel to score a touchdown and you go 23 personnel. That's two tight ends, one running back. And what they were able to do with that, I'm going to put it, let me, I want to make sure I get the numbers right. I got to get the numbers right because I wrote it down and I put it somewhere because they added so much beef to what they bring to the table that it's scary, like what they're able to do. Here it is. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. So we already know every Georgia offensive lineman is over 300 pounds. 
So we're already looking at 300 times five. Let's give it, that's 1,500 pounds, 1,500. Let's, let's tack an extra 100 pounds on there because we got some guys that are 320, some guys that are 315. So we're looking at 1,600 pounds. Then you go Fitzpatrick, 250. You go Zamir White, 215. You go, um, what is it, Bauer? Bowers, you go, he's 230. Then you throw in the Megatron super freak, Darnell Washington, 265. You're adding in like 900, in, you're, you're adding almost another 1,000 pounds to the mix. You add another 1,000 pounds to the 1,600 pounds, but then you flex them out. And they had Bauer flexed with Darnell Washington. You send Washington in motion. Can my 200, can my six, seven, 265 pound tight end block your defensive end, Tennessee? Yeah, he can. So we can pin and pull out a 300 pounder to block a cornerback. Guess what we've got? Zamir White on the hop to block a safety. He misses the block. Does it matter? No. Why? Because James Cook is so fast, he's already in the end zone. Doesn't matter. I love it. They're fun. They're getting fun. They're forcing them to try stuff is the reason why they have Monk in there. I like this. This is, I've been down on Georgia because I thought they should be better than they are offensively. And they're starting to come into it. And I'll say this right now. I'll put it on wax. If they're going to run Stetson Bennett, don't bring JT Daniels back. I was going to say that staying with Stetson Bennett has also been a decision. And it seems to be the right one. If he's going to run, leave him in the game because JT's not doing that. And 10-on-11 football versus 11-on-11 football, if you want to win a national championship, you've got a disruptor. And he's not the best runner. He's not that good of a runner. But he is willing to run, and he'll stretch out to get, try and get that first down. Yeah, and if it, you're gonna add, it's worked. If you're going to add that element in, if you're going to add that element in, leave it in because this does give you a better chance to win a championship than bringing in a guy who can throw the ball far and long. And we get to use mailman puns, which is more important go. down the stretch. So we you will know I'm you know how long I you know how long we've been calling him the mailman? Well what? Do you know why? It's the photo, right? Of him in the little like the little costume. He, he, he likes he, talking to the post officer or the postman and so he they got him like a little outfit when he was a kid. I mean that yeah, that's like the like that's a retrofit of it, sure. But <laughs> when we were doing camps in 2015, 2016, whatever it was, when we were going to these, all these Nike camps and everything, he wore a postal worker hat. Oh, that's right. He wore a postal worker hat, and it really helped us identify who he was. Nobody else was wearing one of those. Nobody else really even had on a hat at all. Um, shout out to Demand uh, Damas, who was wearing a bonnet when, when, we're do when you're doing camps. But, like... We all ID. Oh, the kid with the. It was very easy to talk to the guys from Nike, the guys from Student Sports, the guys from wherever, and be like, "Yeah, that kid. That kid's got good squabbles. The kid. The kid with the with the with the with the postal service hat. He he looks good. He's short. He's a little small, but he looks good. He knows what he's doing. And it's so we've been calling him that like, wait, like we're we're it's old. This what, dude is. Did he was he wearing it for that reason? I don't know if he was wearing it for to that be reason. immediately but identifiable as wearing something that other people were not going to wear? I don't know if he was wearing it for that reason, but just, I know that I on signing. the post office. Sure, I think he does. I love the post office, too. Listen, my ideal I job. I don't. My ideal. You don't? Who likes you, going to the post office? 
Oh, I don't like going to the post office, but if I had my dream, my dream job would be to drive one of those right load trucks and deliver mail in a neighborhood with street mailboxes and listen to podcasts all day and have no one talk to me. I fully believe this. Yeah. That, oh, yeah. I'm not joking. No, I, I agree. Although you'd hate the weather. You'd have to deal with the weather. I'm in my truck. And I'm you delivering have to lean packages. out of it and get stuff in and out. Weather doesn't weather doesn't affect me the way that it affects other people. I'm still wearing shorts. Okay. All right. I'm still wearing shorts. Let's wrap up the show. Yep. Folks, rate, review, and subscribe. Yes, if please. You, <laughs> if you if have... you're not already an athletic subscriber, you can go to theathletic.com slash subscribe slash Nicole. Get that. Go get subscribe under Nicole. Give her give her some subscripts. Yes. And um, also please tweet us and talk to us about your favorite postal office or post post office postal service takes if you think you could just drive around and not interact with humans all day we will be back next tuesday for more power hour he's michael felder i'm nicole Arback. thanks for listening 